We're going to start with a game, okay? Games are fun, right? I'm going to give you a list of things, and you see, right? You see if you can figure out what holds this list together. It's not a long list. Don't worry. That helps with memory, right? It's a short list. There's only four things on the list, okay? Number one, rebuking mothers and barricading children, okay? Remember that? Number two, refusing to do good to an injured man on the Sabbath. Okay, so far, two things. Probably some of you have already figured it out. Number three, though, for those of us who need a little more, number three in the list is demanding signs when Jesus has just given a sign. And number four, clogging up the temple with money changers. If you didn't get it after the first or the second, that fourth one should be the dead giveaway. Three things, no four, in that list that the Lord Jesus is indignant about. It's good, you know, to keep a track, to keep track, to keep that list in your heart, to bury it away and hide it in your heart and keep it with you of the things Jesus hates. That might seem like an odd way to start a sermon, especially uh, when we've heard how Jesus loves the little children, but Remember being a child? Remember what it was like? Some of you are children. It's good to know the things that your dad gets really mad about, isn't it? And if you forget, it's good for your dad to remind you. I was taught this um, at an early age, but like many, I forgot it quite often. And so again and again, my father was angry with me. And he did what dads are supposed to do when their children make them angry. I don't just mean, you know, when kids... I don't know, when dad's in a bad mood, but when I broke the rules of the house, he disciplined me. What my father was teaching me was the stuff that makes dad mad. And some of those lessons were quite memorable. I'm not going to give you all the details. I'm not going to go into the full list of the punishments, but one of those lessons is etched well in my mind, I'll say. Okay? My older brother and I have a little brother, He's bigger than us now, but he's still our little brother. And we had a habit of picking on our little brother. And we found out at an early age that that makes dad mad. He would tell us, don't pick on your brother. But sure enough, the next day, we would do it all over again. And so the lesson had to be taught again and again and again in words and also in actions. I think the last time I ever got a spanking was for this very reason, (laughs) I don't know how old I was, I was certainly old enough to remember it quite well, that what makes dad mad above all else is picking on my little brother. Now, knowing what makes your father mad is good, so you can avoid those things, right kids? You want to avoid making dad mad. But the reason that we want to memorize this list of all the things that make Jesus mad is because anger is close to love. Put it another way, the things Jesus is passionate, the things Jesus are passionate about are both the things that he gets the most upset over and also the things he loves the deepest. So listen to that list again. And hear not only the things that make Jesus angry, but hear the things that the Lord Jesus loves. Mothers bringing their children to Jesus. Someone being healed on the Sabbath day. Believing in the signs that are given. 
and the temple as a place for all of God's people to be drawn together in worship and in praise. When those things are gone against, you better believe Jesus gets angry. In fact, some of the harshest words of our Lord are reserved for those who cause little ones to fall. If I'm ever going to write a hymn, I'm going to write a hymn about the time Jesus said, it would be better for a man who causes a little one to fall to have a millstone hung around his neck and be thrown in the heart of the sea. (laughs) It's the kind of hymn that I'm going to write and I'm going to submit to a committee and they're going to send it back and say, we're not going to include that in the hymnal. It's not not gospelly enough. But what Jesus speaks the most harshly against is what he loves the most. The only other words of our Lord that even come close to that is what he said about Judas, right? Remember how he said it would be better for him who betrays the Son of Man to have never been born? Betraying Jesus and causing little ones to fall, in Jesus' mind, are pieces of the same cloth. Because our Lord loves the little children. Jesus loves the children and he wants them to be with him. Jesus' love for children is not a sort of idealized love of children. He is not a sentimentalist. We'll come back to that later. Jesus doesn't love the thought of children, the idea of children, but, you know, keep them far, far away. Put them in the nursery. Better yet, just keep them way away. Jesus wants the little children to be right there with him. And the moms understood that, didn't they? Now, where did these mothers get this idea It's pretty bold, to be honest, isn't it? It's pretty bold to come up to Jesus. He was really important. His time was really valuable. He's not the kind of guy who you just, I don't know, waste his time. And yet these mothers perceived something that the disciples didn't grasp. Where did this boldness of these mothers come from? Was it just their intuition? You know, a mother's intuition is never wrong, perhaps, perhaps. Or maybe they saw something in Jesus that was tracking right along with what God had always told his people. You know, you look in vain to find places in the Bible, I tried it this week, to find places where God is saying, keep the children at a distance, keep them away. You know what you find over and over again? Bring them, bring them, bring them. Right back to the very beginning of the Lord's ways with Israel, this was etched in their flesh. When God gave the covenant of circumcision to Abraham, you know what he told him? I want you to circumcise all of the males in your house when they become men. That's what circumcision usually was. Hopefully you catch the sarcasm. It's a little bit early, but hopefully you know that's not what God told Abraham. He didn't say, wait until they're 13, wait until they're 18, wait until they're 21, wait until their prefrontal cortex fully develops and they really understand everything. He told Abraham, circumcise them on the eighth day. Even in their infancy, the Lord was bringing the people into his gracious covenant. And it didn't stop there with circumcision. You look throughout the Old Testament and you find time after time after time the Lord telling his people, bring your children. When you come to the temple, when you celebrate the festivals, when you bring your sacrifices, the temple shall be a place of joy for you, fathers, and for your children, for your son and for your daughter. Never does our Lord say, keep them at a distance. 
hold them back. Wait till they really get it. Wait till they become grown-ups and they understand everything, like all of you understand everything. No, the Lord deals with all of us like little children. Come on. I think the mothers understood that. I think they got it because, well, that's what mothers pay attention to, right? Little children pay attention to these kind of things. Little children notice things that adults overlook. They notice that when God gave the manna in the wilderness, the children ate it. They notice that when the Lord brought them through the Red Sea, he didn't say, leave the little ones behind in Egypt, but he brought them all the way through. Little children notice how Jesus is. Little children notice how he acts. They notice what makes him mad, and they notice what he loves. Everyone should have understood that, right? It's not just the mothers and their intuition that should have grasped, but it wasn't a secret. The Lord God had told fathers from the beginning, be diligent in teaching your children. And that command isn't tucked away in like the appendix to the book. It's right at the heart and center of God's law. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. That passage is famous among the Jews. They call it the Shema. That's the Hebrew word that starts it. Shema Israel. It's like their creed. And you see how the Lord puts the teaching of little children side by side with the creed of the Israelites. Could he make it any clearer? Could he make it any more obvious that he loves little children? I have a hard time figuring out a better way for the Lord to teach mothers and fathers and their children that the Lord is the Lord, not just of the grown-ups and of the aged, but he is Lord also of the children. And see, if you know what God loves, if you know that God loves something, then you can be bold about pursuing it. That's what those mothers took to heart. That's why they brought their little children to Jesus. And maybe even, maybe it happened like this. Remember that other time when the disciples were arguing about who's the greatest? Which one of us is the smartest? Which one of us is the most handsome? Which one of us is the best? Remember what Jesus did? He took a little child and put that little child in the middle of them and said, if you want to become great, become like this child. Maybe it was that the mother of that child You know, maybe one of the wives of the disciples, who else would have their kids right there? Maybe she went and told the other moms, hey, Jesus loves children. And if you know what Jesus loves, then you can be bold in pursuing it. Be like these mothers, you mothers. Be like these mothers, you fathers. Be like these little children, you children. See what Jesus loves and be bold in pursuing it. Now, compare God's love of those children with the disciples. Let's play another game. Here's another list. Noisy, germy, demanding, needy, clingy, expensive, obnoxious, dirty, a hassle. What's that a list of? The character traits of children. (laughs) And it's all true, isn't it? Each one of those things is true. Jesus is not a sentimentalist, right? Jesus does not love the little children because they're perfect. Jesus does not love little children because they're innocent. Jesus does not love the little children because they are the models of virtue. Jesus loves them in spite of all of these things, just like he loves you. See how Jesus insists that all of us 
are little children, and Jesus loves the little children. But see, those disciples didn't understand because, well, the same thing that happens to us happened to them. Yes, they loved little children. I'm sure that they taught their own. I'm sure that if you had asked Peter, Peter, do you love your children? He would have said, yes, of course. I love my sons. I love my daughters. I love my nieces. I love my nephews. But see, we get caught up in ourselves, don't we? And the disciples certainly got caught up in themselves. The disciples were simply doing what we all do. They overlooked those who weren't like them. They overlooked the little children and measured importance in the kingdom of God by what was important to them. Well, we would never do that, would we? We would never do that. That's something that happened to them long ago, but I would never do that. (laughs) Yeah, that's what I said after the first time of picking on my little brother. Okay, Dad, I learned the lesson. I'll never do that again. Until a week later, and a month later, and a year later, and another spanking later, and I still pick on my little brother, (laughs) I confess to you. We all do this, don't we? We measure the importance of a person based on ourselves. We set ourselves up as the standard. And we say, if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, then you should become like a pastor, You should take four years of seminary classes. You should memorize everything that's ever been written by Martin Luther. You should know all of the everything that's ever been said and written and done. You should grow up and be like me. And then, then Jesus will have time for you. Then Jesus will say, okay, you've made it. You've arrived. You're valuable. You have a place with me. See what the disciples were doing? They were measuring the little children by themselves. See what we do? Just the same way. We look out and we see a whole congregation here. We might not do it to the little children, but we do it to each other, which is probably even worse. We look at each other and we say, hey, he's not like me. He hasn't been here as long as I have. She's different than me. She doesn't understand like I do. Against all of that, against all of that self-importance, Jesus thunders, doesn't he? The text is very clear. Jesus wasn't just sort of mildly amused by what the disciples were up to. He wasn't just saying, oh, you guys, you haven't quite grasped it, have you? He was indignant. What makes Jesus mad is this self-importance, this puffing up in pride of ourselves and pushing everyone else far, far away. And so Jesus thundered against them, and we do well to learn what makes Jesus mad so that we can see what our Lord Jesus loves and be bold in pursuing it. Out of that anger comes these sweet words of Jesus, these words that have inspired so much wonderful art and so much wonderful feeling in the ages of the Christian church. Let the little children come. Those are sweet words, aren't they? Let the little children come to me. And we love those words, not just for our own children, but we love them for ourselves, don't we? Because honestly, honestly, if the standard was perfect knowledge, if the standard was perfect behavior, if the standard was you must measure up, you must be this tall in order to ride the kingdom of God ride, well, you better all get out of line because nobody measures up to that standard. But you see what the standard is for the kingdom of God? Assuredly, I say to you, unless you receive the kingdom, 
like a child. Jesus puts the standard in his love, in his grace, and therefore the doors are wide open. The measuring line is right here and you all hit it because all of you, each and every one of you, is one who our Lord Jesus loves, who he invites to come to him. That's why this is included in the gospel reading. That's why we set apart this Sunday because we're not just interested in teaching little children about Jesus. Have any of you figured that you've graduated? Do you think you've gotten old enough that you're beyond the scope of the little children? Think again. Become again today a little child because you see how your Lord Jesus loves the little children. His indignation reveals his love. And so we read this passage every time we have a baptism, not just a baptism of a child, but even the baptism of a grown-up. We read this passage and we take it to mean that we should be teaching our children diligently from the time they are little to the time that they take their last breath. We read this passage and we say our Lord wants our children to be present with them. He doesn't give us, you know, the good stuff for the grown-ups and the scraps, the leftovers for the kids. You know, This is just an aside, but it's fascinating, isn't it, that little children always want to sit at the grown-up table. Have you ever noticed that? I grew up in kind of a big family, and when we would have family gatherings, the whole goal of life was to be at the table with the grown-ups. Not because I had anything to say. In fact, I really didn't. Kids never do, right? But just to be there with the grown-ups, just to be there with them. I could be eating chicken nuggets while they're eating pot roast, but just to sit at the table with the grown-ups. Well, doesn't our Lord say, do away with the kids' table? Bring the whole family together. Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Jesus doesn't give chicken nuggets to kids, even if that's what they want. He gives them the very best. He feeds them with the very finest things, the same things that he gives to you. He gives you his baptism. He gives you his word. And it is the will of our Lord Jesus to feed even the little children. Do they need to be taught? Certainly. Do they need to be trained? Of course. Do they need to grow up? Absolutely. (laughs) You hear me, kids? You need to grow up. But our Lord Jesus doesn't say, our Lord Jesus does not say, until they grow up, until they measure up, keep them far away. He says, let them come. And when we hear him speaking like that to the little children, we hear him speaking like that to each and every one of us. Let the little children come to me, Jesus says. Do not hinder them. Do not forbid them. For theirs is the kingdom of God, and you, dear friends, must become like little children. This is the paradox of growing up as a Christian, isn't it? That the more we grow up, the more we mature, actually, the more we grow down. To be a mature Christian is to be like a little child, that is, to be completely dependent on Jesus. Remember, I said Jesus is not a sentimentalist. He doesn't hold up children as the model because they're so wonderful, they're so great, they have no sin. Jesus knows full well what's in the heart of a child. Folly. (laughs) But they are the model of recipients. They are the model of dependence. And so they are the model of disciples. Assuredly, I say to you, unless you receive the kingdom like a child, you shall not enter it. And then he took them up in his arms, put his hands on them, and blessed them. Do you see what makes Jesus mad? 
Do you see what he loves? If you know what Jesus loves, then be bold in pursuing it. For as he welcomed those little children long ago, still he calls out to the church, come to me, come to me and receive my blessing. To Christ be the glory now and forever. Amen.